Welcome to the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Now, here are your hosts, editor Christian Berg and associate editor Mark Demko. All right, welcome back to the Bow Hunting Podcast. We are all bow hunting all the time, and today we're going to talk about crossbows. Now, do not hit the stop button on your device. Do not get mad at me and say, I do not want to talk about crossbows today. Folks, whether you love crossbows, whether you hate crossbows, whether you don't care about crossbows, you need today's episode because you need, if you're a bow hunter, to know what's going on in our world. And crossbows, in case you don't realize it, are becoming the dominant weapon in a lot of our top bow hunting states. And that's what we're going to dive into today. This all comes as a result of an article that we had done for our June issue called The Changing Face of Bow Hunting. And associate editor Mark Demko and I were shocked to see just how many people are heading a field with crossbows and just how many deer are be t- being taken with them relative to the vertical bows. I mean, here in our home state of Pennsylvania, crossbows now account for roughly 70% of archery season participation and 70% of the harvest. It's unbelievable. That means seven out of every 10 deer taken in the archery season are now being taken with crossbows as opposed to vertical bows of any type. So you know, is it good? Is it bad? What does it mean for the future of our sport? I don't know the answers to that. And I don't know that we're going to find the answers today, but we are going to have a really interesting discussion with several key people uh, from the industry and the management side of things. And I think that if you're a bow hunter, you ought to at least be aware of what's happening the changing demographics of our sport. And I think if you stick with us, you're going to find it pretty darn interesting. So before we dive into the discussion, I need to remind you that the Bow Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Lancaster Archery Supply. For all your bow hunting needs, visit LancasterArchery.com. They've got the gear. They've got the knowledge. They've got the passion. And with that, I'll throw it over to Mr. Demko to introduce our guests and kick us off with today's shows. So in in our June issue, uh, we took a look at the sort of the growth of crossbow hunting across the country in the whitetail states. And we wanted to see if that was something that was across the board or only happened in in certain areas and certain states. So uh, it was a pretty comprehensive piece. And we found that that's pretty much the case once states start to legalize crossbow hunting, you'll see growth in crossbow use and it'll account for more and more of the deer harvest over time. Uh, probably the one area where that's an exception is down south where they have um, much longer gun seasons uh, than they do archery seasons. But uh, I'm really excited because we have two of the biologists on the call who um, uh, helped with that article. Uh, I want to introduce Chad Stewart from the um, Michigan DNR. Chad, welcome. And Brian Dewey, who is with the Wisconsin DNR. Brian, you are an incredible resource because you're actually their wildlife surveys and uh, harvest uh, assessment specialist there. So you come through a lot of data points. So thank you so much for that. Welcome. No problem. Glad to share. And then we have Clint Warner from Easter Archery. Clint, welcome. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, you know, you're the VP of product and 
quality for Easton. And you um, actually shot crossbows for a number of years in your role there, but you started to hunt in the past couple of years with a crossbow as well for your own personal hunting, right? Yeah, out of necessity. I have a bum shoulder, so I'm getting it back to health. I mean, I'm a, I'm a vertical bow hunter in my heart, but uh, I've been doing crossbow quite a bit. Um, and, uh, you know, it's playing an active role in my hunting definitely every year or so. Well, you talk about out of necessity, Clint, and, you know, it's funny because, you know, we we may have already pissed off a bunch of our listeners because we're even talking about crossbows. And when you said out of necessity, I've said to so many of my friends, and I'm not by any means anti-crossbow at all, but like you, I would say that generally speaking, I probably consider myself a compound guy, right? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean... Yeah, but I but I've had to start hunting with crossbows. And when I say had to, again, I don't mean that to be a, a put down. But like, this is why we're here. This is why we're doing this call. Like, holy moly, crossbows are in states like Pennsylvania, like Michigan. Uh, you know, states that you would think, man, these are our bulwark bow hunting states of America. There are more people killing more deer with crossbows than there are with vertical bows. And I don't know exactly when that happened. You know, actually we can, thanks to these guys, go back and say exactly when it happened. But my point is sort of from a philosophical view, it's like we almost feels like we blinked our eyes and that changed. And certainly we've seen it in the bow hunting media. They've seen it at the agencies, but you've seen it, Clint, from a retailing and marketing standpoint. Sure. Yeah, we have. Um, and I mean, I've got kind of my own viewpoint on that. I mean, I, my own belief is that most of that's coming from gun. I think most people coming into crossbow probably more, you know, you look at the pop, this is just my opinion. I don't have data to back it up, but my my hunch is that more of the growth we've seen in crossbow has come from gun as a percentage versus guys that came from vertical bow switching to crossbow. You got that small percentage of those crossbow guys like myself who, you know, screwed up their shoulder. They're just getting old or whatever. Arthritis happens. And okay, it's a choice. But you ask, I mean, I've never talked to a vertical bow shooter that actually thinks shooting a crossbow is fun. It says, oh, I like doing it. Let's go shoot for the day. It's just. Well, for the for the day, yeah, for yeah, the day. No, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you on that. It's not fun to go shoot it a hundred times. Yeah, but I, so, but I oh. would say, I would say, um, some of these new crossbows, they are actually cool, which I don't think I would have said yeah. 10 or 20 years ago. I don't think I would have picked up a crossbow and said it's cool. But like they're you getting, look at a brand new Raven or 10 point, they're actually kind of cool. They're getting better. They're getting better. The, when they went away from the, the when they went, the, the, to me, the biggest thing is the the caulking, decaulking. When they when they added that functionality to them, that was a huge deal. Um, the, the the issue they all still have, in my opinion, that, that, that the whole industry needs to conquer is you're basically dry firing the bow every time you shoot it. So, you know, in terms of longevity of strings and just reliability, I mean, they're just not necessarily meant to get at 300,000 miles under the tires, you know, that's well, just, I, I, I think, 
I think we can probably get into some really good discussion about what you just said, Clint, a little bit later today with, you know, I think there's a lot about uh, weight of your projectiles that comes yeah. into play there and things like that. But before we do, Mark, I know we want to get these guys from our state agencies involved. So why don't you kind of transition us over there to kind of get their 10,000 foot view of the crossbow and its growing role in, you know, hunting and deer management, Mark? Yeah, absolutely. And and Chad, I think we'll start with you because much like Pennsylvania, I think Michigan's had um, crossbows as far as a legal hunting implement for, oh, I don't want to say since 2009 or 2010. So you probably have a good amount of data behind the the growth in crossbow use. And uh, if I remember correctly, that first year they were legal statewide, it was maybe mid thirties as far as the percentage of the harvest was taken with crossbow. But uh, talk a little bit about how you've seen uh, the changes in archery season as far as deer harvest from looking at it from a compound bow versus a crossbow. Uh, yeah, Mark. Uh, I mean, from Michigan standpoint, uh, crossbows were allowed to be used concurrent in the archery season with with you know traditional bows, vertical bows in two thousand and nine. So your numbers are spot on there. Um, in those first couple of years, we required hunters to get basically a free a free stamp just so we could monitor that people were using crossbows because there was obviously this this concern that you're allowing this new type of equipment into a traditional archery season and what's the impact going to be from a management standpoint, et cetera. Um, and you know, long story short, after about, I think it was two or three years, they did away with this stamp feature because they realized that, you know, there was not going to have this negative detriment to the deer herd because of the allowance of crossbows. And, you know, since that time, um, we've seen just continued growth in popularity. Um, I think I was just looking at some numbers before I hopped on. Um, we've got about 300,000 uh, hunters in our archery season, you know, and that number has been fairly consistent over the last 10 plus years. So we've got an extremely stable trend. And if you look to see comparatively what our firearms participation is, um, we've probably lost uh, 20% of our firearm participants in our firearm season over that same time. You know, we've lost probably close to 120 to 150,000 deer hunters in our firearm season. So is that just, I mean, that's, that's happening in our state. I think that's happening nationally. Just hunters are, our, our hunter numbers are declining, but you know, the, the sort of the old adage, like we're not hearing as many shots on opening day, a firearm season is really holding true because we know that there are fewer hunters that are even going out there and whether those hunters are laying down their guns and picking up crossbows and going into the archery season um, or just fading away. That's, that's probably data. I don't quite have. Um, it's probably a little bit of, of everything, you know, vertical bow hunters switching over um, firearm hunters, laying down their firearms and going out a little bit earlier um, combined with our increased age, you know, demographic of our hunters. Um, but, you know, of those 300,000 deer hunters that are typically going out in archery season, our archery harvest sounds like it's very similar to Pennsylvania, 130, 140,000 deer total. Um, and you're seeing about 80 to 90,000 of those deer being taken by crossbow hunters. But the, 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 the telling number for me is out of those 300,000 hunters, you know, we, we probably have about 220 to 230,000 of those hunters that are using crossbows. So it is 
dramatically shifted in terms of preference um, for for Michigan archery season hunters that they're going out and, and actively choosing a crossbow over the vertical bow. All right, I, I got to jump in because I was trying to follow all the numbers that you said. <laughs> Do you say about 300,000 total archery hunters in Michigan? We got about 300,000 total. I and, call them archery season hunters because I know that that's a, a, no, no, a no, lightning yeah. topic there. Yeah. Well, but you, because I know you just said 220 of them, 220,000 in crossbows. So that's more, that's like 70%. Yeah, yeah, probably close to 70% of our total archery season hunters are using a crossbow. And, and I'm trying to connect some dots with what Clint said at the beginning, because, you know, and I'm going to throw another thing in, too, because one of the arguments for crossbows, right, when all the states were legalizing them about a decade ago, right, we had a period of about 10 years from, say, about six, seven years ago, and going back 10 or 15 years before that, where it seemed like every year we had another state or two that was adopting them for use in archery hunting seasons. And one of the big arguments was that it was going to help recruit hunters. But I think what we're seeing, and it comes back to your point, Clint, is we're not actually seeing a growing hunter base as a whole, but we are seeing increased participation in archery seasons and in a lot of states pennsylvania michigan and others where archery is now representing a bigger piece of the overall deer kill pie right because maybe we're shifting some participation and some kill out of the firearm season and into the archery seasons yeah so i've got a question and this is mostly to the probably to the biologist more than anything so if, I mean, if you were to take the biological impact away, like don't consider that for a second and and uncap the number of hunting licenses you could sell. I mean, that to me, it's the carrying capacity of the landscape that regulates the number of hunters that participate. Now, I don't know in in Michigan how that is, but like in Utah, for example, there's way more hunters that want to participate than Utah will allow them to participate because of just limitations and carrying capacity and whatnot. So I, I'm curious if, I mean, if, do you, it, how do you view that? Is there, do you feel like there's more hunters in Michigan that would participate if could, or is it the state that regulates the, the cat? I'll just speak from Michigan standpoint. I don't know if Brian's got a different opinion. Um, I think I know what he'll say, but I don't know. Um, you know, we don't, we don't have a cap on participation in, in Michigan. So as long as you, um, at least for white-tailed deer, you know, you go into elk or something like that. We've got a small elk herd that has a lottery draw and we absolutely cap that. Cause like you said, Clint, we can't, the, uh, the supply, the demand greatly exceeds the supply for, for elk, but for white-tailed deer, we do not cap any individual participation. Um, we obviously cap, um, total number of bucks that can be harvested. We have a very high number cap of uh, antlerless deer that can be harvested that very few hunters ever reach. And then we do some restrictive uh, hunts in some of our northernmost regions of our upper peninsula just because we have very low deer densities. It's a high snowfall area, but um, it's it's largely open. Anybody who's uh, legally qualified to hunt, uh, they can certainly go purchase a license and participate 
and our our general deer licenses are good for any season. So it transfers across mm-hmm. archery, firearms, muzzleloader, various antlerless seasons, et cetera. And I, I guess that's Chris. And the reason I asked that question was just to go back what you were saying about and what I'd alluded to earlier, just that that the hunter population stays the same. You know what you're and people are just shifting their, their weapon choice. Yeah, I mean, it is. Hard. And, and, and like these guys said, you know, I don't know if Brian has anything to add, but it's, it may be impossible to tell short of actually doing a name cross reference. And well, what, you, what you know, how many of these gun guys are just switching to the crossbow? Does Michigan do center fire still <clears throat> or are they shotgun only? It's a sort of a split state. Uh, we have what's called a limited firearm zone in our southern unit where um, you can still use straight wall cartridges, but it's primarily a shotgun zone. And then as you get further north, you can use center fires. Yeah. And then, you know, the other thing to that, I think, is the dates. I mean, in Utah, for example, with rifle, it's like a four day season now. You know, in Illinois, it's a three day season. So, I mean, if you if over time, the season dates have gotten shorter and shorter on those gun seasons and you still have a longer season for a bow slash crossbow. I mean, if I'm a gun guy, it's really easy for me to get in, get in the crossbow camp because opportunities better, probably having a better hunting experience because there's less impact to the game. I mean, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it, it's very compelling to be a gun guy to switch to crossbow. Yeah. What what are you guys seeing, Brian, in your state in terms of participation and shift of, you know, weapon choice and harvest from one segment of your, you know, deer hunting to another? Um, we're very similar to Michigan. We're uh, five years behind them, but um, we've caught up in a hurry. Um, so definitely crossbows are uh, not only they have a higher success rate and they have a higher harvest than vertical bows. Um, probably about half of our people that pursue deer in the state pursue deer with a stick and string. Um, so we have about 600,000 people that pursue deer in our state and about 300,000 pursue them with a stick and string type weapon, more so with crossbows than with vertical bows. Um, the harvest rate for crossbows, like I said, the success rate on bucks is higher than it is for for vertical bows, but that's nothing different than has ever occurred in any other state that has had full inclusion um, for crossbows. Um, we keep our data separately, uh, separate. Um, we have a separate but concurrent crossbow season from our vertical bow season. Um, it continues to go that way. It started out that way. Um, and it was due to pressure by our vertical bow hunters and their fear of, of you know, there being some limitations put on this because of the resource. Um, the resource can withstand this pressure. If anything, I'm sure Chad would agree that we're limiting hunters at a rate such that it worries us, and particularly some areas that we are. Are we going to be able to control this resource, or at least, keep, you know, use this resource reasonably you know, with the amount of hunters that we have now? We do have some areas of the state where winter kill and, and habitat are, are such that there are limited amounts of of that, but we don't cap anything for bucks. Um, if you're willing to buy a, a, a stick and string license and a, a firearm license, you can pursue a, a two buck state, you can harvest two bucks if, if they're available and, and you know you want to put it in purchase those licenses. We do not excuse me, we do not limit that in any way. Analyst tags are somewhat limited in our northern third of the state. 
based on uh, deer abundance, winter conditions, habitat conditions, and the like. But the southern two-thirds of the state, uh, essentially, you can shoot almost unlimited antlerless deer um, with crossbow. Um, so, as you talked about, we've done a pretty extensive study um, that was was asked for by our Natural Resources Board in 2019, looking at all aspects of crossbow use, and um, both in our state and in other states as well. And um, we're we're on a very similar path. Um, I know there was a lot of concern and angst, being the we are essentially the birth of archery hunting with Spike Case and, and the like. And Michigan is very similar with Fred Bear and their and their vertical owners. Actually, we're very adamant about the crossbow into their state, but we haven't found any real, um, any problems with crossbows as far as, as the resources are concerned. Most of those other ones are social issues that, you know, we sometimes have to be, you know, we're, we're put into that arena by those, by those groups, but I mean, there's no reason to worry about crossbows. One of the things that we found from our study, and I talked about it being a recruitment tool, we have found that crossbows are not a really recruitment tool at all, but what they really are good at is Retention tool. They are an excellent retention tool. Most of our crossbow users in the state are, are a little bit older than our vertical bow users, about 10 years um, older, in fact. Um, so it's a really good retention tool. We've also found that, that it also keeps their success rate of these older hunters as they get into their waning years um, a little bit higher. So it gives them a better chance at harvesting deer. Um, so yeah, the crossbows are, are more of a retention tool than the air recruitment tool. And we found in our state as well that most of our crossbow hunters were already deer hunters. They didn't come from something else. Um, so they were already deer hunters and primarily already vertical bow hunters and, and or gun hunters. And now we're switching to crossbows for various reasons. They're getting older, um, but some of it has to do with their attitudes and, and the like. So vertical bow hunters have a tendency to be looking for a challenge, looking for the solitude and the like. We found that our crossbow hunters are more into the uh, accomplishment uh, type thing, and our gun, our strictly firearm hunters are more into the camaraderie and social aspect of hunting. So there's there's a difference in their attitudes and their and their what they're looking to get out of hunting, um, and so that's part of it as well. Well, it's really interesting, and I, Clint, it was funny to me when you asked about like the, you know, the number of licenses that they could issue and stuff. Because I was like, wow, that is just such a big difference between the West and the East, you know. And even as you started talking, I was like, oh, Clint is thinking like with that Western mindset, and there's nothing wrong with that. Your habitat, especially for deer, is so much more fragmented in the west and what what i mean by that is right your 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 populations are a little more isolated and fragmented the, this part of the country is so forested our deer resource you know from pennsylvania all the way out to minnesota and michigan and everywhere in between is kind of just spread out across the landscape and so everybody who wants to hunt can buy a hunting license and the way you know i, I think chad had alluded to it they limit buck kill but it's just basically everyone can kill one buck. That's typical in this part of the country. Everyone is guaranteed no. to kill one buck a year if you can find one to shoot, which you won't always. And then does, again, I don't remember if it was Brian or Chad, like here in Pennsylvania, it's the same thing. I might be able to shoot four or five or six or even more does than that every year, depending on how many like agricultural 
depredation programs I want to participate in to try to control them. So whereas out west, the, the agencies struggle to try to provide opportunity to meet the demand of the hunting population, more yeah. in our part, our part of the country, these guys are struggling to kill enough deer to hold the population in check. But I, I, I think that for us, it's more of a public land availability thing. So if if y'all had more public, like seventy percent of Utah's public land, for example, so if seventy percent of you know Michigan and Wisconsin were public land, you probably wouldn't have a problem killing the deer you want to kill off of there because. It, you just can't. I mean, the biologist wants to take twenty deer out of this area, and the landowner won't, you know, likes deer and doesn't want to kill one. What yeah. you can't think about that. <laughs> that so, is definitely there's true. Probably there's... A, there's probably a fair bit of landowners that don't want to shoot their deer. <laughs> you know, so sure. You know, I'm yeah. You know, it's just a totally different world here in the West for sure. Um, but it, I I think it's more of a land thing because you, when you get outside of Utah, even in like there's half of Wyoming is private that eastern side of Wyoming is all private. And it's the same problem, you know, there. I, I think that they have antelope tags where you can get the tag guaranteed. Good luck finding access. You know, it's same same story. So yeah, it's it's interesting the, the differences east versus west for sure. Some some of that occurs in Wisconsin, um, but we have a pretty large tract of, of public lands in our northern part of the state, about a 21 to percent of the state is, is open public land for hunters to hunt on. Um, but what we have found and what was a, one of the big concerns was is people were really worried about you know us being a two-buck state and that people would, would go out and, and harvest a deer with a crossbow and then again with a firearm and that there would be no deer left in the state. Um, I don't want to speak for Chad, but we haven't seen any large increases in our buck harvest at all. What we have seen is a shift in, in when the buck harvest occurs. So like I said, it's not not a recruitment tool, so we're not seeing a whole bunch of new faces on the landscape. But what we are doing is seeing the same faces on the landscape holding a different weapon. Um, we haven't seen any change in the number of the bagging rate of people bagging two bucks. We haven't seen any change in that at all, pre or post full inclusion of crossbows. We actually haven't seen any change in the number of deer per successful hunter either. So the so the number of Deer that hunters are willing to kill or can kill hasn't changed at all. Pretty close possible. Um, it has made those hunters somewhat successful, but it hasn't made them shoot more deer at all. So, um, what it all it does is change from a deer dying on the third week in November in Wisconsin to one of the first weekends of November. It's probably the same hunter that would have killed it in the third week in November, and it's probably the exact same deer he would have shot. In the third week in November, he's just shooting it with a stick and string weapon a little bit earlier than he has in the past. Because, like I said, you know, 78% of our state is privately owned. So the access to those is controlled by the landowners. So it's the same people that are probably hunting. It's probably they're hunting the exact same space they would. And they're probably shooting the same deer they would have shot in. You talked about the different um, success rates, Brian. How different is it for a vertical bow hunter versus a crossbow hunter? Well, it depends on the year um, and depends on the you know, deer availability in the area of state. But right now we're talking anywhere from two to 6% difference um, between those two. Um, and, and I'm a little leery about just even talking about success rates. Yes, they're higher, but 
Selectivity also plays an important part of that as well. Like I said, the motivations, if on the motivations that can use these weapon types are different. And we've also found that the number of animals that they pass vertical bull hunters are passed on Robux and crossbow hunters, pass on Robux and firearm hunters. Maybe it has something to do with the ability to shoot those weapons and the gear placement and, and just general knowledge. But I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, they're looking for different things, they're looking for different experiences, and then they're also looking for different situations. So it's it's just by comparing success rates between crossbows and vertical bows may not necessarily be a good thing because there's a whole lot of factors that go into your decision to loosen an arrow and and throw a deer in. And I think a lot of those things go into that. Well, Mark, that really brings us to what everyone ultimately wants to discuss, right? Which isn't, these guys have a lot of data and we could sit here all day and prove that crossbows are wildly popular and getting more so all the time. And we can prove that they're a little more successful than the vertical bow hunters. And we can prove that, you know, we're shifting. So what? People really want to know, is it good? Is it bad? And is a vertical bow hunter a better hunter than a crossbow hunter? And, you know, Brian just touched on it. Uh, sounds like what he's saying without coming right out and say it, but I'll, I'll say it, right? Sound, sounded to my ears, Clint, like what he was saying is crossbow guys don't watch that many deer walk by. They like to squeeze the trigger and you might be out there with your point and you might let five bucks go by. And yeah. so your success rate as a group is lower on paper, right? When they look at all the reports at the end of the year and they say, well, hey, vertical bow hunters only killed not, you know, 9% success rate and the crossbow hunters were a 15% success rate. Well, yeah, but you didn't count the six bucks that Clint let walk right under his tree. Yeah. 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 I, it, yeah. It's, it just comes, you know, a lot of it's just what define what success is, you know, and I think the, um, I've heard that people say like, you know, that what do you enjoy about the hunt? And it's the preparation and the stories when you get back to camp. I mean, when I think back about my best hunts that I've ever had, rare is it the kill shot that I think about. It's all the preparation that went into the preseason work, geeking out over the gear, you know, the, the story of what happened and how it all went down. And that's the memory part of it. And I, I think that there's an element of in vertical bow shooting that the the action you know where there's so much of a physical part of you that's imparted into the shot that it becomes an almost spiritual thing to 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 an archer that a crossbow guy can't fully understand and and until you've actually experienced it with the vertical bow it's hard to relate but you know, for those that have, I, I see your head, you're nodding your head, Christian. I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about because I, you hunt with the vertical, well, yeah, like there's an element of, I, I you, agree with, draw, yes, the arrow's yes. an extension of you, your, your person, your, well, body, it's, your, it's, right? it's literally your own energy. I mean, you could say yeah. it's the same with the crossbow because at some point prior to shooting, you're, you're either cranking it or pulling the cocking rope, but yes, with it's yeah. a different, it's a different so, experience, but, but I want to be the devil. I want to be the devil's advocate here because I've asked this question, okay? And I asked this of you now, and I'll, I've asked it of myself, but you're we're both in the industry, if you will, okay? Yeah. If the vertical bow 
has this spiritual component, which I agree with you that it does, if there's something zen about that physical connection with the bow, if there's something that is actually adding to the experience due to the a little bit of added challenge because we don't have a scope and a trigger, right? We've got a release aid and, and, and a pin. And if you want to take it a step further, you could pick up a recurve bow or a long bow and really increase your challenge. If there are subjective qualities to that experience that are actually more or better or whatever word you want to use, why aren't we as an industry as fellow vertical bow hunters doing a better job in getting more of these people with the crossbow to pick up these vertical bows. What's the like what what's what's the stumbling block there in the demographics? I I can give it to you just uh, I'll, let me give it to you from an arrow perspective. So this is just, you know, a, a a family can buy one crossbow and share it among all. Okay? So from a from an industry standpoint, I mean, why why aren't people doing it? Well, there's the cost part. You can go buy a four hundred dollars center point, you know, at Academy or wherever you know wherever you buy. Pick your your store, right? Four hundred bucks, three arrows, and probably shoot a half a dozen deer. I'm going to assume you can shoot two deer per arrow before you lose it. Let's just say, but way cheaper than you you know if you if you're a vertical bow shooter. Mom needs a bow, dad needs a bow, each kid needs a bow, and you need half a dozen to a dozen arrows each to do the same thing and shoot the same amount of deer. Oh, yeah. Well, you need a dozen just for preseason practice because you're going to lose or break half of those before opening day. Oh, yeah. I, I don't, sure. I don't so, want to interrupt you guys, but I, I, think you're, I think you're looking at this the wrong way. You, you talk about it as they don't understand, their crossbow users don't understand. I think that's the wrong approach to think about this. That is not what motivates their use of the weapon. You enjoy, you talk about the spiritualness of releasing the arrow and all that. And that's all well and fine. I'm a traditional archer. I completely understand this. But you have to understand, you're just talking to a very small group of people, whereas Chad and I talk to very large groups of people. And, and there's lots of, lots of, lots of motivations that, that make people go out in the woods. And weapon choice while it's very important to you and very important to other folks, and, and you know the main reason why they do this and why you know the spiritual feeling and the releasing the arrow, there are other complete other sets of motivations that drive other people to do different things. Hunt from a tree stand, hunt from a blind, hunt over bait, hunt on a trail, hunt on a field edge. All these things go into the decision as to how you do that. And what's really important and personal to you is not so to the other person. Person. Well, the, as a state agency, it's not our job to decide what is good or bad or whatever. All our, all our job is, is to decide in the resource to stand that. And, and whatever makes people happy is what we should be really motivating or really, you know, letting people. Yeah. And I, I wasn't trying to say one's better than, but merely I was saying one of the big reasons I think people don't do more vertical bows there's an economic component that's saying hey if i'm a sole breadwinner and i'm going it's going to cost me four grand to outfit every one of my family with a vertical bow and arrows and the whole bit i can do the same thing for 600 bucks with a cross by one crossbow and do well, the same thing and there there's a time component too clint you know a lot of yeah. times and again i don't want brian to get the the impression because i said at the beginning i am not anti-crossbow and i do some hunting with the crossbow 
people say to me, and again, it's just that I live in a world, Brian, where most people are probably coming at it more from Clint's perspective. So I get people who come to me and they're like, well, you know, it's easier to shoot a crossbow and you don't have to practice as long. And I look at those people and I'm like, yeah, and like, yeah, you're right. But what's your point? Like, that's kind of the allure to your point, Brian, or even Clint. You can go to academy. You can pick up a crossbow. And once you get the sight adjusted, mom, dad, Sally and Johnny can all hit the bullseye from 30 yards on the first drive. You know, it's like that's not a negative. But yet some people would say it's a negative. Your Brian's point is it's neither a negative or a positive. It's just another option. Then there's a whole group of people who say it's horrible. And then there's a whole group of people who love it and say it's great. Well, there's a there's a lot of here's the other risk. I don't have an opinion of what's better. I just there's a lot of money that comes to wildlife agencies through federal excise tax dollars. And if you if archery if vertical bow archery were to go away tomorrow, your excise tax dollars would take a hit because you're, there's a lot of participation in 3D archery and tournament archery and recreational archery and archery in the schools program and all that stuff that. You have archery is kind of like the lifeblood to all of it. And if archery were to go away, you know, I mean, it would be a shame. I mean, it's not, I'm not saying one's better. I, oh, it's not, I, it's not going to go away. Yeah, it, it won't. But I mean, but like I'm lobbying, I want Utah to make, you know, I personally, I want, I can use a crossbow in Utah as a rifle. I can't use it as a bow. So Utah doesn't recognize it as a bow. So yeah. it, I, but I want to be able to use it as a bow in Utah. It would, to me, it's why not? But that's just me. And that's a heated topic for a lot of people here. Well, you, you know, another consideration, Clint, I mean, I, I'm glad you mentioned the taxes because that's an important consideration. I also know for people like Brian and Chad, or maybe not them specifically, but somebody in your agency, right, who worries about your departmental budgets and stuff, they're also fighting like the they need the license dollars because for most of these agencies, like I know in Pennsylvania, it's the hunting license dollars that provide the lion's share of their whole budget. So yeah. while the crossbow might be taking a bite out of those excise tax revenues, it also might be helping to stem the tide of decline in license sales. So, you know, and again, I'm not saying that Chad and Brian and their colleagues are motivated, like, hey, we're just going to do whatever is going to sell the most licenses. But it certainly is a consideration if you have an entire agency that relies on those things for their for their dollars. For sure. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, as, I don't long, know if... as long as your data is showing it's healthy for your ecosystems and stuff, you should do it. I mean, in, until something changes, you know, it's it's a good thing. Well, one of the requirements for those PR dollars is we have to have match of the state act. So match those dollars that we receive from Pitt and Robertson. So those dollars have to come from a source other than federal funding. So those are usually matched by license dollars. License sales are an important part. Again, we have a both Michigan and Wisconsin have an abundance of deer resources. So we were very blessed that way. Um, and so we have lots of opportunities. And what we should be doing is, is allowing the public to participate in that public resource, how the public would like to come. That's what I would leave it as. Yeah. And I mean, and our whole motivation in doing this article that Mark did is I almost felt like, again, it wasn't a matter of 
Is it good or bad? Because that's ultimately up to each individual person to decide. But I felt like we had almost a, a fiduciary responsibility to bring it to the attention of the bow hunting community. I think everybody sort of knows like, yeah, there's a lot more guys and gals going out there with crossbows now than there were 10 or 20 years ago. But I didn't even know as the editor of a bow hunting magazine, like I didn't realize until Mark started to aggregate these statistics from around the country where it was like, holy cow, they're not just popular, they're like probably the dominant weapon in archery season in a lot of these eastern states and the trend line is going like this and i'm like if this doesn't stop and you know maybe this is what you were alluding to clint if this yeah. doesn't stop crossbows are going to be like far and away the dominant weapon in archery seasons within another decade and then what does that mean for you and a company like Easton? What does it mean for the, the archery and bow hunting media? It's like the entire audience is, is changing before our eyes. And I don't know what it means, but I'm fascinated about like what's well, occurring well, in our we'll lifetime. I mean, we'd sell a lot fewer arrows. Right. And, Absolutely. You know, yes. So you're going to have less arrow. And that's not just an Easton thing. Yeah, Every arrow company is going to sell fewer arrows. So arrow sales go down. Um, units of bows probably go down at an aggregate level um, because a family can share. So well, and, and, and there is, and there and there is data that shows that crossbow shooters don't replace as often as vertical no. shooters. Mo most cross, I think, that as a general rule, and I, I've heard this is what I've been heard from the crossbow companies is there's more frugal crossbow hunters than with vertical bow hunters. People are willing to spend more money with gear. When with a vertical bow, I don't know why they just I've heard that's just what I've heard. Um, you know, so there's there are some expensive crossbows, but I mean, those are not those are a small, small, small percentage of the market where, you know, an arrow rest on a bow. I mean, what's a new QAD rest like 200, 200 plus dollars, you know, just for a rest, you know, sites are going to put you back 500. You know, so I mean, it's a releases. It's just a can of worms. So, you know, it's I don't know. Good question, Christian. Don't know what the industry would look like. I mean, it's certainly a, a adapt or die kind of a situation, right? Like you, you either adapt to it or you die trying. But I mean, it sounds <laughs> like it sounds like the impression I'm getting from you, though, Clint, is that for at least from Eastern standpoint, it hasn't necessarily been a net gainer. Like you'd think that we've got all these new well, crossbow people, so you'd be selling a lot of crossbow bolts, or you'd be selling a lot of crossbow broadheads, or whatever. But it sounds like taken as a whole, yeah, you probably have gained some crossbow-related sales, but 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 what you lose is in you know in the final analysis, it's not a net positive. We uh, honestly, I don't, I haven't really, our, I don't think our business has changed a whole lot. And I mean, there's still enough vertical boat participation from our perspective that like it isn't really a huge factor. Um, the, the thing that I will say on the crossbow side, and I think this is just, this is just something in general that that's a challenge is because the bows are so specific to the arrows they shoot. It's hard for us as an arrow maker to make an arrow that works with all the bows. Everyone wants to have their, you know, they have their own different knock and their different way of shooting, you know, the trigger boxes are all different. So unlike a gun, a 30-06 is a 30-06, and anybody can make ammo for it. That's not the case with a crossbow. So we're we're kind of, you know, as an arrow maker, if we're going to sell crossbow arrows, and we, you know, 
10 points a great partner of ours. So, you know, we, we, we really depend on the OEMs, for example, the, the, the manufacturers of the crossbow to bring us to the party because, you know, they, they kind of control the technology that goes into that. Unlike with the aero side of things, you know, we, we control our own destiny there. Um, you know, and so that, that's where we focus our time. But if, you know, if we have a good opportunity to work with a crossbow manufacturer, we're happy to, to do what we do and, and get them a good arrow for their product. Mark, you've been quiet a long time. I know you got a lot going on in that brain. Yeah, the one thing that uh, I hear a bit of a theme coming here is, you know, will the use in crossbows level off at some point or how is it impacting vertical bow sales and things like that? And Chad, I'd love to hear from you. I mean, you you have 14 years of data. Do you think that that, that harvest is going to continue to grow or do you think it's going to stabilize at some point, like around 65, 66, 67% of your harvest in your state? I think from a percentage standpoint, you know, composition of the harvest, I would not be surprised if it starts either levels off or, or at least starts to slow when it's increased. I think the concern that I have is that our user base is continuing to decline. So, you know, we've talked about how archery hunters have uh, been relatively stable and, and maybe crossbows have been been part of that as they've been able to retain either existing hunters that would have gotten out or, you know, recruit hunters from other different seasons. Um, but, you know, Brian mentioned really well that, you know, we're not recruiting deer hunters, right? You know, like our deer hunter numbers, regardless of what you're, you're using your, you know, you're, you're firing a projectile with your finger with, you know, a, a gun, arrow, bolt, you know, whatever, those numbers are declining. And so I I do have concerns over the next 10 to 15 years that our numbers are going to continue to decline. And that's eventually going to be, um, you know, reciprocated in, in the archery season as well. So while the percentage of the total harvest might, you know, remain similar or only, you know, slowly start to increase, the total number of deer that are being taken by any particular weapon might start to decline because the overall like denominator is starting to decline as well. And it's oh, interesting that you you say that because in Pennsylvania, the number of general hunting license sales has declined steadily over the years, whereas the archery sales, much like Michigan, have gone up. Um, I think that Pennsylvania is the leader in archery sales as far as archery stamps. It's like 330,000. But yet the hunting license sales in general continue to decline. Uh, now, Clint, I don't know if you have those same concerns out west because the demand is yeah. so high for your license. We, yeah, I was going to say, we're growing archers in Utah. I mean, like there's more people shooting bows. There's more people wanting to hunt. I, there's this whole movement among, you know, among the uh, just different political viewpoints that are seeing hunting as a benefit. It's an organic meat kind of a thing. So the whole field to table the whole demographic in the West is different. In in Utah, seriously, if we could somehow figure out how to have twice as many deer on the landscape, we could service that. There's enough people that with tag creep and point creep, man, we could handle twice as many um, hunters. If, if yeah. we had It's such a different game. That's what I was going to say, Clint. It's going to be a long time in the West before your supply of hunting opportunity outstrips your supply of hunters but in the east it's different 
And I would ask Chad and Brian, you know, given the demographics, given the fact that you know that your total hunting population is in decline, and even this archery holding its own kind of thing, like Chad said, probably isn't going to last forever if we don't keep bringing new participants in, right? It's just logic says that it can't last forever. What is 20 years from now, 10 years from now of deer hunting in the these eastern states look like, Chad and Brian? Are we like literally, you're going to be begging me to go out and, and shoot more deer, aren't you? Yeah, I think we're there now. <laughs> I think we're begging people to shoot, at least in Michigan, we're begging them to shoot more antlerless deer. Well, um, you know, where our projections um, and talking with, you know, basically Brian's counterpart out here in Michigan, um, you know, we're predicting, uh, you know, another 100,000, 120,000 fewer hunters over the next 10 years. And that's simply because as you look at the age structure of our hunters, it's dominated by individuals who are in their 50s and 60s. So it's not hard to think that, you know, fast forward ahead in 10 years, we're going to lose a majority of those individuals and the number of hunters behind them in their teens, 20s, 30s is just a fraction of what we have in that sort of Gen, uh, Gen X baby boomer, you know, age class. Um, deer are going to continue to do what deer continue to do in the Midwest. You know, we know that they are uh, incredible breeders. They they can be fairly long lived. We're going to continue to see. Um, habitat fragmentation, suburbanization, um, you know, urban sprawl, et cetera. Um, so it's going to make deer more inaccessible um, because you're chunking off uh, and breaking up parts of land that were previously accessible to hunters. You're going to have a fewer number of hunter populace to begin with, and you're going to see deer continuing to, to breed and, and expand and grow as, as they typically would without those limits applied to them. So. Um, you know, it's, I don't want to say it's a bleak picture because, you know, there's going to be more deer. It's going to be a lot of opportunities. You're probably going to see increased age structure in a lot of our bucks, which is going to appeal to a lot of hunters. But from a management standpoint, in terms of overall numbers, it's it's going to be really challenging because you're going to start to see those levels of conflicts, whether it's deer vehicle collisions, whether it's agricultural damage, I would project that to increase over that 20 year time frame, like you mentioned, Christian. Do you have anything, Brian, to add? No, I, I think Chad Ronald did out pretty good. I think Wisconsin's in the exact same place place Michigan is in. You know, we're losing one to two percent of our overall deer hunters every single year. This baby boom wave that we've been riding as far as deer management goes is about to crash this order in the next 10 years. And there's no way of coming behind it to fill in that, that group of hunters that we're about to lose. Um, part of the thing that, that that scares me as well is, is as you have more bucks on the landscape, like I said, people have a personal limit into the number of animals that they're willing to shoot, both you know for whatever biological reasons and or for you know just cost or being able to eat them or utilize those animals. That number doesn't change, and if they if the bucks become more available and more bucks fill that that void or that number of deer that they're going to kill in a year, it just makes it harder and harder for the research agencies. I know hunters don't like to be looked at as a, as a resource manager, but, but I mean, we have to be realistic as to what, what we need to accomplish because we have other entities that, you know, the general public, we have to serve. So it, it's going to be a difficult challenge. For sure. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of guys in the West that want to that are itching to come do it. So so the non-resident tag prices free for West for non-resident. So you know what, <laughs> Clint? In all seriousness, think about this for pretty much like the entire current generation of hunters. Yeah. It's all it's always the eastern guys wanting to go west, right? I mean, yeah. you don't hear about too many guys in Utah say, "Hey, I really want to go shoot a, a white-tailed doe in Pennsylvania." You never hear that. You hear about the guy who only ever shoots white-tailed doe in Pennsylvania because he hasn't gotten a buck in 8 years because, you know, he can't find anything decent to shoot. He wants to go shoot a mule deer in Utah or an elk in Colorado or whatever and we export all these hunters every fall, right? From August through November, we send all these eastern hunters west. Imagine if a generation from now, Clint, you and all your buddies are heading east every well, year I, to go shoot I have a I mean, I hunt in the West, but I, for the last eight years, I would consider myself an Eastern hunter because I, I bet, I don't know, I'd probably hunt for eight weeks a year in terms of days in the field. And I bet six of those eight weeks are East, you know, East. So, and I, and it's not because of opportunity as much as my choice. I mean, I just prefer it. I like it. It's funner um, for me. So I, there's definitely opportunity. I mean, the, the problem for, is access it's land access because people want to charge a lot of money to access their land or you okay. or you're doing it through an outfitter and so it makes it cost prohibitive and um but if there was a lot of public land and and you guys made it easy for people in the west to understand and not be intimidated by this is how you do it here you know if, if that was you know well laid out and it was easy to understand the the system i guess i think there's a lot of people in the west that would do it they just don't know how um heck if you can go and it's an over-the-counter tag and it's not prohibitive and you've got 20 percent of your state that's public land i don't think many people out here know that that you just know? makes me it makes me laugh clip to hear you say that western hunters don't know how to go hunt in the east because to me and again you know it's perspective is everything yeah. and now it's to me, I'm like, what are you talking about? It's so easy in this part of the world. Like if I want to hunt in Michigan or Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, I just get on your website right well, now and I, I can buy a tag. It's coming out to Utah or Colorado or New Mexico or California. That's impossible because you've broken your state into like 976 units and there's different map for every species and I need preference points and well, loyalty points. And it's crazy. I've never seen any state that made it easy other than Texas. Texas has it figured out. Like that, that's <laughs> yeah, wait, easy. But there's no public <laughs> land down there to no, speak. No, there's not. No, there's not. But <laughs> but you're right. I mean, it's it's super intimidated and go anywhere. Um, so we typically just stay put and we do what we do. And then if we I do go out of state to the states that I know, but like it's like learning a whole new language, you know, to learn every state's regs and how you do it here and do you do points, do you not? I don't know. It's it's tricky, but man, there's a ton of people in the West that don't get a hunt every year. I'll tell you that. They want to. It's just well, <laughs> I can I can remember back in the day, um, you know Pat Mateen, and he used to be one of our field editors here. And he literally moved from New Mexico to Idaho because after like eight years in a row, Chad and Brian, think about this. He couldn't draw a tag, couldn't hunt his own state like eight years in a row not for just like elk or deer, like literally everything. Like 
didn't draw a, a, a tag to hunt big game. He's like, well, I can't do this. He picked up and moved to Idaho, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, that would be hard. That would be hard to live with. Well, guys, let's bring this back to the crossbow. And I think I want to go to Brian. Mark, was Brian the guy that had the kicker quote in your article about like, why are we even having this discussion about crossbows when, you know, we're not going to have any hunters left in 20 years anyway? Um, that was Mike from Ohio, but Brian really talked about the how crossbows were extending people's time in the field. So. Yeah. So it was the but, guy from Ohio who's not with us. But yeah, I mean, I thought it, it was a great way to, that Mark ended his story where, you know, he had all this data presented and we showed how crossbows are becoming more popular. Because, again, it, it's it really boils down to personal preference, as Brian had said, you know, these states don't really want a referee method. Right. Because method is a personal choice. They want to manage a population and provide some recreational opportunity and let people sort of sort out where they want to fall within that spectrum. But, yeah, that guy from Ohio pretty much summed it up like, why? Why are we even talking about this when, you know, our, our hunting population as a whole is declining and. Of course, we'll never stop talking about it within the archery and bow hunting communities. It's a bigger deal to us within our smaller world with, you know, within the larger world of hunting. But again, I do want to kind of bring us full circle as we conclude this, because if you're a bow hunter out there and you're listening to this and you're a vertical bow hunter and you say, hey, I can't stand crossbows, I'll never pick up a crossbow again. I think everyone on this call would say, that's wonderful. Please don't ever hunt with a crossbow. Don't pick one up. But just know that 20 or 30 years from now, Lord willing, if you're still in the woods in archery season, you may not see too many other people carrying vertical bows. Not because I think that's good or bad. I'm not telling you my opinion because this is what the data is showing. And yes, I agree with Chad. Like at some point it's going to level off because a hundred percent of archery season participants are never going to choose one weapon, regardless of what that is. So there will be a threshold that's reached, but the point is just people need to be aware that our sport is changing, you know, and even when I use that term, maybe I'm again pissing some people off because they're like, well, if you hunt with a crossbow, that's not our sport. Okay, whatever, like figure it out. But I'm just telling you, the world is changing rapidly. Change has always been, change has always been out there. Change is always going to happen. And as a state agency, and it is neither our job to be the driver of change or the hindrance of change. All our job is to do is to provide the resource to the public to make sure that the public has access to that resource and that, that you know, they're not causing any problems. So it's not us to decide what change should be. I mean, I've had that a couple times. People said, well, you're ruining our tradition. Well, that's your tradition, and it's not our job to maintain tradition. Our job is to maintain opportunities and let people decide what they want to have as their tradition. So it's it's not it's not our job to, to you know maintain traditions and or be the managers of change. All we should be doing is managing. Yeah. I I will say, Christian, I do think there is an opportunity there for recruitment. Let me just throw something else out. The National Archery in the Schools program has more participants. It's been growing every year. It's got more participants now than Little League Baseball nationwide. Imagine that. 
That is unbelievable. So there's an opportunity out there for archery shop owners, for fellow bow hunters to talk to those kids. And every one of them, here's what they all say. They love archery. They, they don't know what hunting's all about. They don't know what any of this is all about. Most of them. That most of them come from, you know, a variety of economic backgrounds, but they love archery. That's what they know. So I think it's it, there's a big opportunity for recruitment, I think, on both sides of the crossbow side, the, the vertical bow side, to go and and make a and figure out how to bridge to those kids that love archery. They're, they've had a positive experience with a stick and a string and an arrow. And, and it's our job to, to show them, hey, there's other forms of archery out there. You know, there's a crossbow kind, there's a, there's bow hunting, there's, but I, I think that we can, part of that decline of the, of the hunter, that use, you know, that there's, a, that is real. So what are we going to do about it? I will say this though, archery participation is not going down. You know, people shooting above, they're just shooting it differently, right? So the mm -hmm. bow hunting side, I think there's a threat, but there's a big opportunity and just in general archery participation to, to recruit out of that pool into bow hunting. And I don't believe, I, I know, I know for sure that there's not enough outreach going on to that NASP program from archery industry. Um, there, there, there's, that's an opportunity. Um, I see it as a good thing, you know, that they're there. There's, it's like fertilized soil, you know, um, we, we can do that. That's an opportunity for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's going to have to be, and it's going to have to be, you know, everybody that's got a vested interest in it, you know, mm -hmm. these guys from the state agencies who need to manage these wildlife populations and the manufacturers, because you guys are going to be nothing without customers. And guess what? I'm I'm not going to be anything without bow hunters either. And that's why, you know, I get that when people are like, hey, why are you covering crossbows? Or why are you, people say you're promoting crossbows. I'm like, I'm not promoting them. I'm kind of like with Brian. I don't want to tell people what to think or what to do. But I will say that if crossbow hunters were all the bow hunters that were left, I'd either cover crossbows or go out of business. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so I don't know what I, you know, what, what, what I, what am I supposed to tell you? Yeah, we're, we're seeing it in everything. I mean, I think of what's happening with internal combustion engines and batteries in cars. I mean, that's happening. Heaven forbid you're a car lover that likes big block V8s, you know? I I just I just bought <laughs> I just bought two new gas engine vehicles and I was yeah. thinking yeah they might be the last one so anyway <laughs> hey it's like I said it's fascinating and everybody's watching it and I'm thankful for Chad and Brian thank you so much for you know making your data available to us for offering your perspectives uh Clint your perspective as a manufacturer and obviously Mark and I who just kind of watch all this you know, with professional interest and try to keep people, you know, apprised with the, the latest data and information about what's going on. Because as Brian, as you said, change, the only constant is change, right, Brian? And uh, there was a time, you know, people forget this, a couple generations ago, there was no bow hunting in North America. Like you mentioned, Fred Bear, it, it literally this entire bow hunting community in this grand history of hunting in North America is like just in the last five minutes. So, you know, it didn't exist 10 minutes ago and 10 minutes from now, it's going to be different than it is today. Mark, you anything to bring us out? You know, yeah, I want to say, you know, first of all, this wouldn't be possible without talking with you, Clint and Brian. 
and Chad. So thank you so very much. And I think just in our discussion among the five of us, you hear so many different schools of thought and opinions and ideas. It's, it's a pretty complex and large topic when you talk about crossbows. But, um, you know, whether you love them or you're not in favor of them or you don't have an opinion either way, you know, I think they're here to stay. And it's uh, something that's really uh, part of the changing archery landscape. So thank you guys so much. Thanks for downloading the Peterson's Bow Hunting Podcast. All bow hunting, all the time. Pick up the latest issue of Peterson's Bow Hunting Magazine on your local newsstand or connect with us online at bowhuntingmag.com.